We're going to continue in our study of spiritual disciplines, and uh, I'm just going to ask for us to pray. Be praying for Pastor Malcolm, because he's down there with the teenagers tonight. Uh, And so he is way out of his comfort zone right now. Uh, Pray for those teenagers, too, because he might might rip one right. And uh, so be praying for for that. But let's pray, and then uh, we'll get started. Tonight, Father, we love you so much. We thank you for uh, just a, a, a time to gather together to learn more about you and your word. Father, I pray that you would just minister to us, speak to us tonight. Father, that you would be in, the, in all the different ministries taking place out there at Fairview with the kids and the students here, with our kids and our students. Father, that you would speak and, and do amazing things that only you can do. And Father, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Um, So tonight we're going to be talking about the spiritual discipline of fasting. Now, let me give a disclaimer before we even get there. There's been a couple errors on your handout, and that's all me. Uh, I I sometimes pride myself on being a computer whiz, but the computer whooped me this time. And so you might see a couple verses and chapters that don't line up, and I apologize for that. Uh, But maybe it'll encourage you to not take everything the preacher says uh, (laughs) as as die hard. You got to go reference it yourself, you know, find our errors. But um, we're going to be talking about the spiritual discipline of fasting, of fasting. And, and the, one of the things I've realized is fasting has been mentioned more times in Scripture than baptism, but it's also one of the most underpracticed disciplines in the spiritual life. Uh, if we're honest, I think I'll be, I'll be transparent with you right now. Uh, as I was studying this and getting ready for tonight's message, man, the Lord whooped me. And uh, he made me realize I don't practice this like I should. And, uh, man, it was convicting because I saw how significant fasting is for the Christian believer, how essential it is to their life and their walk with the Lord. And uh, I believe reasons why we kind of underpractice this is because we are creatures of comfort. And uh, fasting is uncomfortable. Nobody likes to be hungry. You know, nobody likes to go without. You can look at me right now and know I don't miss too many meals. You know what I'm saying? Nobody likes to go without a meal every now and then. But as we read our Bible, we understand that fasting was very important to the Old Testament believers and the New Testament believers. And as we study the Bible, Adrian Rogers say you, said you study the Bible to know God. You obey the Bible to, uh, to uh, sorry, do you study the Bible to know about God. You obey the Bible to know God. There's a difference. This teaches you about God, but as you follow it and obey it, you begin to really know Him. You develop that relationship with Him. And so I believe some of us are very familiar with the idea of fasting. If I was to say, could you give me a reference from Scripture where you, you hear about fasting, probably majority of you in this room would mention when Jesus was fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. That's probably the, the one that comes to mind the quickest, is when Jesus was fasting for 40 days. Now, here's what's interesting with that. Oh, Lord, y'all going to get wet tonight. Uh, So here's what's interesting about that. We talk about Jesus fasting for 40 days, but then we quickly go to the scene where he's tempted by the enemy and he uses Scripture to combat the the, the enemy's temptations. And we kind of focus in on how the enemy's tactics were and we focus in on how Jesus kind of went against those tactics, but we, we quickly skip over the part where he was fasting. And we don't put a whole lot of emphasis on that. And, and so we need to understand the teaching of fasting. Why is fasting important to us? Uh, fasting, by the way, is not a way for you to manipulate God to get what you want. 
Alright, God is not going to be impressed because you're fasting. That's not what this is about. You're not going to manipulate Him. If you think, because I'm fasting, God will have to answer my prayer, then you are thinking of a works-based theology. In other words, because I did this, I deserve this. Because I did this, I earned this. That's, that's works-based theology. We must understand God has given us everything we have through grace and because of His love towards us, not because we deserve any of it. And so we have to have a right thinking of fasting. Why do we fast? Uh, when we think about fasting, it is the Christian's voluntary abstinence of food. When we look at Scripture, every time they were fasting, it was from food, the denial of food. It's a, a voluntary spiritual purpose. Emphasis on spiritual purpose. If you fast for anything other than a spiritual purpose, you just on a diet. All right? You're, you're just on a hunger. Uh, you're just hungering yourself for no reason. Some people, how many of you, I'm not going to try to call you out, okay? But I'm just curious, out there at Fairview 2, you can raise your hand. How many of you have ever fasted at any point in your life? Would you raise your hand? Well, that's incredible. That's awesome. Now, if I am a, a betting man, I'd be willing to say that when you were fasting, some of the thoughts in your head was nothing but food. All right, let's be honest. When you go on a diet, the only thing you think about is Oreos and pizza, right? You know, you think about the things you can't have. And so sometimes when we go on a, on a fast, when we're fasting, it's like all of a sudden all we think about is how hungry we are. We think about how, how much food I wish I could eat this moment. Or you're checking your watch and thinking, man, I can't wait till this is over. Now, if that is your mindset when you're fasting, you've missed it. You've missed it. You've now turned it into works. You've now turned it into legalism. You've now been, you've basically done self-inflicted suffering in a way to try to gain some type of footing with God as if He'd be impressed that you are going through this, this self-sacrifice. You know, like, I can't wait till this is over. I can't wait to... If that's the way you've thought during your fast, then you, you've completely missed it. Because um, that's what fasting is about. Fasting is all about being God-centered. Now, there could be a broader definition. How many of y'all would agree that there's probably more distractions in our day and age than there were 2,000 years ago? I mean, it seems like technology was supposed to make our life easier, but instead it made our life busier. And so I've implemented, there's different types of fast. A couple years ago, I challenged our students down in TSM to take a social media fast. I said, don't use social media for a week. You would have thought I shot their puppy right in front of them. And that's what I just, I just said, hey, just for a week, don't use social media. They done, they done studies. Do you know how much time the average teenager spends on social media online a week? Anywhere between 50 to 108 hours a week. 108 being the, the 13% of teenagers said they spend about nine hours a day online. Now, I told our teenagers, I said, imagine what you could do for the kingdom of God if you spent 108 hours reading the word and praying and serving others and giving up your time and sharing your story. Imagine. And so for, for a full week, I, I challenged them to a social media fast. And so there's different types of fasts that you can engage in. You can, you can say, hey, I want to give up television. I want to give up uh, social media. But tonight we're going to focus in on more of, of the fast against uh, a, 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 a refusal of food.
fasting should really uh, be motivated to make us pursue spiritual things. So if, for instance, you're, you're saying, I'm going to take a fast, I'm going to deny myself a full day's worth of food, maybe a meal, whatever it might be. If you have a thought, if you have a thought that says, you know what, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. When you have that thought, your next thought should be, well, I'm hungry because I'm fasting. And then if your next thought after that is, I can't wait for this to be over. All right, you've missed it. So what hunger does when you're fasting, hunger can serve you. And this is what I mean by that. When you have a moment where you're hungry and you remember, okay, I'm fasting. And then you remember why you're fasting for whatever spiritual purpose it is, whatever biblical principle it's for. Maybe you're praying for a sick loved one. Maybe you're praying for your spouse. Maybe you have a wayward child who's lost and you're praying for their salvation. And so when you have that hunger pain, when your stomach begins to growl, it'll prompt you, okay, I'm hungry. Oh, I'm hungry because I'm fasting. I'm fasting because I want to see my child get saved. And so every time you have a hunger pain, every time your stomach growls, it immediately cues you to pray. And that is how we use fasting for the benefit of spiritual purposes. All right, It's not something you have to just endure and grind through and just hope you make it through the day. No, every time you get a hunger pain, you stop and say, God, please be with my child today. Lord, I want you to speak to them in a way that only you can. And then the next time you have a little bit of a hunger pain, you stop again and you begin to pray. And it's just... Here's what hunger does. Hunger becomes a, a, a tool for you to pursue prayer and to pursue spiritual purposes. Hunger is not a bad thing in the capacity of fasting. Does that make sense? Fasting, it, it, hunger and fasting becomes a tool to enable you to pursue God uh, more deeply. But spiritual disciplines, we've talked about prayer, we've talked about Bible intake, we've talked about evangelism. Out of all the spiritual disciplines, Fasting is the hardest. And the reason why fasting is the hardest is because this is the only discipline we feel. Like, like it, it's uncomfortable. Nobody likes to be uncomfortable. We, nobody likes to go without. But if I was to ask you a question, out there, Fairview, out here, how many of you in this room would raise your hand and say, I would rather see a prayer answered than eat a meal? Anybody say, I'd rather see a prayer answered than eat a meal. How many in this room and out there at you would say, I would rather see someone get saved than eat a Big Mac? All right. And, And so we see the significance of fasting. Fasting is positioning ourselves for a spiritual purpose to make our prayers and our our, our, our urgent and important to God. And that's where fasting comes in. You're saying, I want this so much. And I'm praying, I'm going to go all day, and I'm going to fast, and I'm going to sacrifice, and I'm going to use my hunger as a reminder to pray about this all day long. That's what fasting is. You're dedicating yourself, discipling yourself, disciplining yourself to do this. And so for the first part of my message, I'm going to hit on um, eight different places where, uh, where uh, uh, fasting is mentioned in Scripture. And you might be looking at your outline, you see a whole bunch of blanks, and you're like, Lord have mercy, we're going to be here all night. I promise you we're not. Um, we're going to go through these pretty quickly. But I want to give you eight different uh, uh, fasts that were mentioned in Scripture And that's how we're going to start. And then the last half, we're going to talk about why we as believers today should continue in the discipline of fasting. All right. So so the first way that we see fasting mentioned in Scripture, we call it the normal fast, the normal fast. 
Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, it says that when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungered. Now mention, look at this. It doesn't say he was thirsty, does it? It just says he was hungry. Matter of fact, Luke's gospel also echoes the same thing. Luke chapter 4, verse 2. It says, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. He would oftentimes include a lot of details. Matter of fact, if you read the crucifixion, he has the most detailed uh, 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 description of the crucifixion. He was very analytical and very medical minded. But even he includes that Jesus didn't thirst. He just hungered. Now, now why? Because we can go about three days without water. Our, our body starts acting up and gets crazy about three days when you don't have water. And so when we look at a normal fast, a normal fast is just the refusal of food, but people will still drink. They'll drink water, drink juice, whatever it is, but they don't eat. Does that make sense? So this is a normal fast. You can drink water, you can drink juice, but you just refuse food. The second type of fast is the partial fast. The partial fast. Uh, For some of you in this room who have medical conditions, this would be the type of fast that you could actually participate in. Because I understand there's people who have different medical diagnoses. You have diabetes. uh, You might might be pregnant. uh, You might have issues. You get migraines and things like that if you don't eat. And so here is an opportunity for for you uh, to be able to participate in a a fast. Because, uh, let's be honest, God is not going to require you and ask you to do something that could ultimately kill you, okay? He's not going to say, starve yourself to death and let your blood sugar drop and then go into a coma. Okay, that's that's not how this operates. And so there is opportunities in the Bible. We see that Daniel, Daniel and his three friends participated in a partial fast where they would only eat vegetables and drink water for 10 days. And so we see that we see people in Scripture doing a partial fast. Now, this would work for you in one or two ways. All right, so maybe, maybe the way you do this fast is that you just eat a very nutritional meal each time, but you, you, you kind of limit the portions. You eat smaller portions. Or maybe you eat just one simple food. Maybe you eat just rice, or maybe you eat just bread, or whatever it is. Something to give you sustenance, something to give you some kind of nutrition so that that way you don't have any kind of complications with whatever medical condition that you have. And so you just have a, a balanced meal or whatever it is, but a smaller portion so that you still aren't quite satisfied. And you still kind of have that urge to eat and you still have a little bit of that hunger, but it's not going to cause you any kind of medical damage. Does that make sense? Uh, and, and so we see this happening with Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, verse 12. He says, prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. So pulse is vegetables. Give us vegetables and water. Think about John the Baptist, the old rugged man that come out of the woods. All right, he had a very strict diet. He was, he was somebody else who would be a, someone who monitored his, his eating habits and was very strict. And so in, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 4, it says, And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. Okay, so he ate very minimal. He was very restrictive. And locust is bugs, by the way, okay? Uh, I had one, one Bible scholar t- said it was the locust bean. I'm like, no, it's not. That joker was eating bugs, okay? Uh, it was a big old grasshopper and some honey, and I ain't going to try it, but whatever worked for him. Uh, but that was the diet he was on. So historically, we see that Christians have participated and observed partial fast by eating smaller portions, eating fewer simple foods for, for a small period of time. There's been churches who have done the Daniel fast. 
And they will say, our church is going to observe the Daniel fast for a full month. And the whole church will decide, okay, we're going to eat just vegetables and water for, for a month. I don't think Pastor Malcolm is of that uh, uh, persuasion, uh, thank the Lord. But there have been churches who have done that. Then you have the absolute fast. The absolute fast. Ezra chapter 10, verse 6. It says, Then Ezra rose up from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Johanan, the son of Eliashib. And it says, And when he came thither, he did not eat bread nor drink water. See, he put the emphasis there. He didn't eat or drink. For he mourned because of the transgression of them that had been carried away. So an absolute fast is the denial of food and water, food and drink, all right? Nothing. We see that also happening when Esther went to her uncle Mordecai because there was a, there was a, a, a plan to destroy the Jews and Esther was going to try to win over the king. And so she went to her uncle Mordecai and says, tell the nation of, of, of the Jewish people to begin to fast and to pray and we'll join them with. And so in Esther chapter 4 verse 16, he says, go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan. And fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink, three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so I will go unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. Alright, so she says we need to fast. How do they fast? They gave up food and they gave up drink. Acts chapter 9, verse 9. Paul, when he was on the road to Damascus, it says he was there three days without sight, neither eat nor drink. So this is an absolute fast. You can only do this for a limited time. All right? You're not going to be able to go for a week straight fasting without food and water. Uh, and so these were just uh, special circumstances for a special time. And that brings us to the supernatural fast. Supernatural fast. There are two instances in Scripture where there was a supernatural fast. We find one when Moses wrote uh, of his meeting of God on Mount Sinai. He wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 9. He says, when I was gone up onto the mountain to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant, which the Lord God made with you, then I abode in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. I neither did eat bread nor drink water. So for 40 days, he didn't eat or drink. I got thirsty just thinking about that. 40 days, no water, no food. Same thing happened with Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 8. He, he went to the same mount, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. Uh, most scholars believe this is the same location, just different names. And so he says that he arose and did eat and drink and went to the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. So this is a supernatural fast. This kind of fast only happens with God's supernatural intervention. All right, you cannot in your own power go and do something like this. And so for my men in here who think you're bad to the bone and you like to do triathlons and you like to push your body to the test, I promise you if you decide today I'm going to do this kind of fast, you will die. All right, you will make it to about day six and then you will die. Uh, So do not try this unless God has put it on your heart and has given you a supernatural uh, calling to do something like this. Do not do this. All right, this is not repeatable apart from the work of God. And so this is a supernatural kind of fasting. And then we have the private fast. Number five, the private fast. Uh, this is the most common type of fast mentioned into the New Testament. This is what Jesus talks about mostly. He talks about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. He says, Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, 
For they disfigure their faces, that they may, may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. This type of fasting shouldn't be made public. It is a private fast. And, and my father-in-law... Uh, my, Tracy's daddy was a great practitioner of this man. I, I, I admire, I still to this day admire his walk with the Lord. He's a very godly, devout man. And I remember growing up, I say growing up when I was 17, dating his daughter, I was growing up then too. Uh, but when I was, when I was around him, he would fast at different times, but he wouldn't tell nobody. And we'd go out to eat sometimes and sit down at lunch or whatever. And I would say, brother Steve, get you something to eat. He said, Oh, I'm good. I, I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied. I might just get me a glass of water. I said, okay. And I didn't even know he was fasting. And I'd sit down and chow down right in front of him. That had to be torture. But he wouldn't tell nobody he was fasting. He was very private. He, he, didn't, want to, he didn't want to rob uh, an opportunity. He, he, he wanted it to be a secret thing between him and God. Because if we're honest, most of the time, people who do anything for God like to make it public. You know, they get to the stop sign and they see the homeless man. And so they pull out a $10 bill and give it to the homeless man. And immediately they make a Facebook post. You know, I was just at the stop sign and I saw this homeless person. I gave him $10 and I just said, God bless you. Okay, why did they do that? Because they want to see all the comments come in talking about, you're such a good person. You're such a giver. You're so benevolent. You're, so com- you're just like Jesus. You know, they just want to see all those comments come in about how good they are because they did something for God or whatever. That, listen, they got their reward. That was their reward. And, and so Jesus is even saying this with the Pharisees. He said the Pharisees, they would go and disfigure their faces, throw dirt on their faces. They would wear ratty clothes. They would walk around all sad and miserable looking. And Jesus says, they got their reward. Because the people would see them and they would recognize that they were fasting and they would say, oh, look at them. They're so holy. And Jesus says, that's, that's, they got their reward. He says, a real fast should be private. It should be secret. All right, number six, we see the congregational fast. Congregational fast. Uh, this kind of fast is found in Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, it says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. He says, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. In, in the book of Acts, we see that the local congregation that was gathered in Antioch gathered together in fasting. It says in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work wherein to have called them. So this is when a local church, a local gathering decides together we're going to fast. Now, I've been a part of some smaller churches where they would do a congregational fast. We have fasted for revival. We have fasted for finances. We have fasted for miracles. When it was election year, we would fast for the president, you know, who was going to be elected, you know, whatever. And we would spend time fasting as a church over a specific matter. And so that's a congregational fast. It's just for that local assembly that's gathered together. Number seven is a national fast. A national fast. So this, uh, there was a, a time where King Jehoshaphat was about to be invaded, and he was worried because he was thinking he was about to lose. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 20, he calls the whole nation of Judah to a fast. 
He says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3, he says, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And we see time and time again in Nehemiah chapter 9 and Esther chapter 4, there was a time where the nation together would come and fast. I don't know if you realize this, but even in American history, Congress at one time declared three different national fasts. Two different, actually three different presidents. You had, you had President John Adams, you have James Madison. Each one of them declared a national fast. Abraham Lincoln declared a fast between the war, when, when they were in the war between states. Now, I'm, I'm afraid we're far away from ever having America fast as a nation again. But, but our roots is a Christian roots, a God-fearing roots. And at one time, our nation would gather together and fast. Isn't that amazing? Don't you miss those days? <laughs> and so we, there was at one time even America would participate in a national fast. Lastly, number eight, you'd have the occasional fast. The occasional fast is simply this. It would, it would happen on special occasions for a special purpose. Whenever the need would arise, there would be a, a declared a fast. And so in Matthew chapter 9, verse 15, uh, Jesus says, Unto them can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then they shall fast. And so there's going to be times where people will be called to a fast. It's not regimented. It's not something you put on your calendar and you do it multiple times. It's just an occasional, here's a need, we need to fast. So out of all the ones we just talked about, Probably the most common that are practiced in our day and age today would be the normal fast, the, 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 the private fast, the occasional fast, and the, and, 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 and the partial fast. Thank you. Thank you, brother. The partial fast. That's probably the most practiced today in our day and time. But why should you as a Christian today, why should you fast why is it important? And just like every one of the other studies we have done on spiritual disciplines, number one is always it is expected. Remember our direction. We talked about this at the very beginning. Our direction as believers in Christ is that we are to be transformed and made into the image of a son, Jesus. Right? So that's our mission, to be more like Jesus. In order to be more like Jesus, we have to do what Jesus did. Jesus himself was someone who fasted. Therefore, we follow his example as someone who fasted. But also, Jesus says multiple times, if you read Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 17, he says things like, when you fast, or he'll say, and when thou hast fasted. Why would he say that? Because there's an expectation that his followers are what? Fasting. Right? They, they, are, they are doing and honoring the, dis- the discipline of fasting. And so there's an expectation we see the early believers in the book of Acts. You go read the book of Acts. You see the word fast mentioned more times than any other book in the New Testament. They fasted as they were trying to, to spread the word of God. As they were raising up leaders and sending them out. They're constantly getting together to fast. Nowhere in scripture, by the way, will you find a place where it says that we are no longer to fast. Fasting is over. It's not there. There is an expectation, even for us today, that we still discipline ourselves to fast. There is an expectation from our Savior. There's an expectation in His example. There's an expectation in His commands that we should be people who fast. If we do not do something He has commanded us to do, what is that called? Sin. Sin. If we refuse to do something that He has commanded us to do, it is sin. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 through 15. It says, Then came to him the disciples of John, 
saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, but the disciples, the disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then they shall fast. So here's Jesus. Jesus is sitting down eating with Matthew, the tax collector. All right, he's spread out. Man, there's a pile of food all around him. And the Pharisees come and they begin to criticize him and basically say, why are you eating with this sinner? And then the disciples of John the Baptist come. Now, remember, John the Baptist was somebody who obeyed a partial fast. He ate some weird stuff, right? He limited his diet. Well, his disciples, his followers, would also kind of mimic the same kind of diet. They were very limited on what they would eat. And, and they were pointing people to Jesus. The, John the Baptist and his disciples were funneling people to Jesus. Go find him. He's the Lamb of God. Go to him. And then they find Jesus kicked back and reclined at this big old table with all this food. And they said, wait a minute. Why are we eating bugs and you eating all of this? Like this don't seem fair. We're telling people to come to you. We're fasting. How come y'all ain't fasting? I, I, I'll be honest, I'd be a little upset too, wouldn't you? I'd go back to John and be like, you can keep feeding those bugs. He's over there eating lamb. All right. So. Jesus responded to the Pharisees and the disciples of John. And this is what he says. He says, well, can the children of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then they shall fast. In other words, he's saying, hey, I'm here with them. It's time to rejoice. But there's going to be a day I leave. And when I leave, that's when they need to fast. And when I come again... They don't need to fast no more. He says, but until I come again, you should be what? Fasting. There's an expectation. I'm going to leave. When I leave, that's the time you begin having your fast. When I come back, you don't have to fast no more. And so this is how he expects us to fast is until his coming. And I began to read that. and I thought, man, Jesus must think this thing of fasting is important. Because he expects his followers to do this all the way until he comes again. And then we see Jesus addressing fasting in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. We've already read it once, but we'll read it again. He gives three different things. He gives a negative command. Here's what you don't do. He gives a positive command. Here's what you do. And then he gives a promise. And so in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, this is the negative command. He says, Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, and they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. That's the negative command. He says, don't look all disheveled and look miserable. Don't look like a scavenger. All right, you're not feral. All right, put on some makeup. Do your hair. Brush your teeth. All right, if you're fasting, make yourself presentable. Don't make it look like you're miserable. You know, don't act like you're so hungry all the time. Just, just go about your daily, daily life like normal. Don't make it obvious. That's what he's saying. That's the negative command. Don't do those things. Don't make yourself look miserable. Don't, don't come out to not shave in your hair a mess. I'm like, what's wrong with you? I'm, like, I'm fasting. All right, no. You've totally just blew it. And then he gives a positive command. In verse 17 and 18, he says, But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. So instead of looking like a hungry scavenger, he says, Present yourself in a way that no one would notice any different. That you just look like a normal person. You're not acting weird. You just, hey, this, this is between you and God. Make it private. 
And then he gives us a promise. In verse 18, the last part of verse 18, he says, And the Father which see thou in secret shall reward thee openly. So he has a sure promise. If you are intentional with your fast and you put a spiritual purpose behind it and you're devoted to him and you're making it private and you're acknowledging him and you're doing all of this for his glory, you will be blessed. Isn't that an amazing promise? How many of y'all want to be blessed? I, I, I could use a couple blessings in my life. And so he says, hey, if you want to be blessed, do this. So why do we fast? Well, number one, because it's expected. But number two is to strengthen prayer. Strengthen prayer. When fasting is partnered with prayer, it expresses an urgency. It shows that it's important. When, when Ezra was about to lead a group uh, of exiles back to Jerusalem, he, he got with the people of Jerusalem, of the, the Israelites and says, hey, we need to pray and fast. They were about to make a 900-mile journey without any kind of military protection. He says, we need to fast and to pray. And so they got together in Ezra chapter 8, verse 23. And it says, so we fasted and besought our God for this, and he was entreated of us. In other words, it showed, that, showed God, hey, this is important. They got together and they asked God for protection to, 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 to go ahead of them and make sure there was no obstacles, no enemies along the way. And so they fasted and prayed. It made their prayers urgent. Now, this is not a spiritual hunger strike. All right, we're not just refusing to eat and say, God, I'm not going to move until you do. All right, that's not how this works. Fasting does not change, our, 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 uh, does not change God's hearing. Let me say that again. God, fasting does not change God's hearing. It changes our praying. Fasting does not change God's hearing. It changes our praying. If you are praying for something outside of God's will and you're fasting about it too, I'm telling you right now, if it's outside God's will, he's not going to reconsider your fasting isn't going to change his mind if it's outside of his will. But, so, but it does make our prayers more urgent. Thirdly, we, we, we pray, it's expected for us to pray, and we are to seek God's guidance. Has there ever been a time in your life, out there at Fairview, in here in this room, has there ever been a time in your life where you said, I wish God would just tell me what to do? I, I wish God would just show me which direction to go. I know for me personally, that has happened multiple times. And I'm just going to say this. Every single ministry position I've ever held at any church, I've always taken that position after I have fasted and prayed about it. Because I feel like the ministry is a very important role. I I take it very serious. And I want to make sure I'm stepping in the right place. And I want to make sure that I'm pursuing God well. And so every single ministry position I've ever held at any church, I've always prayed and fasted before I did that. Matter of fact, I did the same thing before I came here to Temple a little over seven years ago. I remember uh, I was working in Tallahassee, Florida. I was working for a security company putting in fire alarm systems and cameras and all kinds of stuff. And I was in Tallahassee working for about a week. And uh, I'd already been contacted by someone here at Temple saying they needed a student pastor. And, and so we were considering it and praying about it and uh, anyways, I, 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 I've been fasting for a little while and my wife, while I was in Tallahassee, Florida, she was at a woman's conference with her sister. And one day I was driving between jobs and I was listening to one of Pastor Malcolm's messages. Matter of fact, it was the Sunday before uh, I was listening to that previous Sunday's message and I was driving and I was just thinking about the decision and just wishing God would help me understand what way I needed to go. And in that cab of that truck, it's like God just dropped the word go. Just go. Clear as a day. I mean, I was like, wow. Okay. 
All right. Well, that night after I got back to the hotel, I called my wife after she got back from the women's conference. And I just I started asking her how the women's conference went. And she said, oh, it was good. It's real good. And uh, I said, well, you have any clarity about what we need to do? And she said, well, I went to the altar at the end of the service and I began to pray. And I just felt like God said, go. <laughs> and so I said, hey, that's good enough for me. And so we, uh, we made the decision. And let me tell you. When we told Dustin and the staff here we were going to come, I never once, and, and, and this is not for me to be all braggadocious or whatever. I'm just telling you the God honest truth. I never once ha- said, how much are you going to pay me? <laughs> I, my, I wanted my motives to be pure. I didn't want to be tainted by nothing. I, I, I didn't want to be excited about coming on to a big church. You know, here's a big old church in Coleman, Alabama. And I, I didn't want anything like that to influence my decision. So I was, I was intentionally ignorant the whole time. And when I got my confirmation, this is where I need to be. I sat down with the table with, with Dustin and he turned around the, 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 the staff agreement and I signed it. And that was the first time I ever saw the salary or anything. I didn't want that to be an influence. And, and God has just blessed and done amazing things for our family because we were intentional about seeking his guidance through prayer and fasting. All right, so if you're in a crossroads right now in your life and you're wishing, God, please show me which way, which way I need to do, uh, which way I need to go, what I need to do in this situation, have you tried fasting about it? Let me give you some Bible. Let me give you some Bible. There's a time in, in, in the book of Judges where the 11 tribes of Israel are about to go against the, the tribe of Benjamin. The Benjamites had done some pretty pretty sinful things and they were about to go and whoop up on the Benjamite tribe and so they're like okay we got this and they were very confident about it and they went and got and prayed and then after they got up from praying they went and attacked the tribe of Benjamin they outnumbered the tribe of Benjamin 15 to 1 that seems like a pretty easy win I don't know about you but I if I had to fight 15 guys by myself I'd be a little intimidated and so they're pretty confident we're about to go whoop this this tribe up well guess what they lost and 22,000 of their men got killed and so the tribes of Israel, those 11 tribes, regathered, and they began to pray, and they began to cry. And then they went back to battle. And they got defeated again, and thousands more of their men were killed. And they come again a third time back to God, but this time they're praying, they're crying, and they're fasting. And in chapter 20 of Judges, Judges chapter 20, verse 26, it says, Then all the children of Israel and all the people went up and came to the house of God and wept and sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until even and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. After they did that, they go to battle and guess what happens? They win. Why why am I bringing this up? Because sometimes we might have all the resources and we might have all the power, but we don't have God's okay. And if you don't get God's okay on something, it don't matter what you got, it ain't going to happen. And so we need to get God's okay on something before we ever make that decision. And so once that God said, okay, you can go now, then they won. We see in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, you don't have to turn there, but Paul and Barnabas, they would get together and they would pray and fast over who they would anoint, uh, who they would anoint as the new leaders of every single church that they would plant. They would pray and fast, pray and fast. Why? Because they wanted God's okay. They wanted God's guidance on the decision. So number four. Another reason we are to pray is to show grief, to show grief. 
Three of the first four references in the Bible when it comes to fasting involves them fasting over grief. They're, they're, they're grieved over something. Matter of fact, the, the verse we just read in Judges chapter 20, verse 26, if you read that whole context, not only are they fasting for God's direction, but they're also fasting over the 40,000 soldiers they just lost. They're grieved over that. We find that when King Saul was killed by the Philistines, that the men... Of Jabesh Gilead, they walked all night long to go collect the bodies of Saul and his sons. And they bring them back and they buried them. And in 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 13, it talks about how they got together and for seven days they mourned and they fasted. They were grieved. Sometimes grief will cause you to fast and say, God, I just need help right now in this moment. I just need help. Um, when my Grammy, when I got the phone call that my Grammy was in the hospital, uh, just some context... My mom went over there on a Monday and found her slumped over in her chair. And uh, she was breathing but not responsive. And so they rushed her to the, to the hospital. And uh, I, I got the phone call. And so I left that Tuesday morning to go there. And I, I began to fast that Monday night. I said, God, I don't know what you want to do, but please just help us during this time. And I, I didn't eat until the next day uh, when we found out that, unfortunately, the brain had swollen to the point they, they were not going to be able to do anything. Um, she was just basically, at that point, she could be kept alive on a ventilator, but she would not have any quality of life. And so we had to make the decision at that moment that, okay, we're, we're not going to keep her in that kind of condition. And so uh, we let her pass peacefully. But during that time, I'd also been praying because I didn't know my Grammy was saved. I'll be honest. We had conversations about heaven. We'd have conversations about church. She went to church. She said she was going to go to heaven, but a lot of people go to church say they're going to go to heaven, but they'll they'll miss it by 100 miles. And and so I wanted to make sure my Grammy was saved, and so my wife and I began to pray about that too. We were grieving because we just lost someone we loved, but we didn't know where she was. And that's heavy. That's heavy. And when we got there to to the funeral home, I met the pastor. His name was Caleb. It's like Caleb, but with a P at the end, Caleb. My Grammy would attend uh, Cowboy Baptist Church there in Mobile, Alabama. And uh, my, my Grammy was a spitfire. Y'all, she, she, was, she was something. But Pastor Caleb came up to me. He says, hey, I don't know if you knew this or not, but last year, before your uncle passed, uh, your uncle called me. And he invited me over to the house. And your uncle and your Grammy sat down with me in the living room. And they said, we just want to know that we're saved. We want to know that we're going to heaven. Can you help us understand if we're going to heaven? And so right then, I mean, I just started bawling. And I, start, I, I was like, thank you, Lord. Because that's what we was praying for in our grief. We was praying for God to console us and to give us some kind of evidence that my Grammy had made it. My Grammy was good. And, and in that moment, that pastor had no idea how bad I needed to hear that. But that was something God had answered, a prayer that we had been praying. God answered it right there at the funeral home. And I, it's kind of a weird thing to be smiling at a funeral home, but I was smiling. I was excited about that. And so when the pastor got up there and he began to say words like, hey, for us, this is an exit, but for her, that's an entrance, I could say amen to that. And so I was comforted in my grief, but it started with an attitude of fasting and praying. Y'all see the benefit here? But sometimes we can be grieved over other things. We can be grieved over our sin. Uh, You can be broken over your sin. And maybe that drives you to a place of just wanting to get real with God and being open with Him and saying, God, I'm just sorry. Because sometimes just admitting it doesn't mean it's confessed. Uh, There's a difference. Admission is not confession. 
And sometimes there's, we got to get real with God, and maybe we just say, God, I'm just going to get serious about this, and I'm going to confess it before you, and I'm just going to take some time, and I'm just going to fast to let you know how serious I am. Number five, we fast to show love and worship to God. Love and worship to God. Fasting is not only a thing that we do when we're troubled and there's difficult circumstances, but the Bible says that it can be an act of devotion to God. It can be an act of worship to God. There's a beautiful story in Luke chapter 2. We have a character that's introduced very briefly. Her name is Anna. She's 84 years old. She's widowed. She was married seven years and then her husband died. She never remarried again. And if we put it in context, in that culture back then, a lot of those ladies got married at a really, really young age. And so she could have been widowed for, uh, for over 50-something years, possibly. But in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 37, we have a very short summary of her life. And it says, And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers Night and day. Now, the story of Anna, if you read it in Luke chapter 2, the story of Anna is in context to Mary and Joseph. It's in context to Mary and Joseph and, and how there's another prophecy that's being fulfilled that Jesus is the Messiah. But, but I think it's just remarkable that we have this short little excerpt about Anna, who spent the majority of her life worshiping God through praying and fasting. She loved her Lord so much that she wanted to worship Him, and the best way she knew how was just to pray and to fast. And maybe she just fasted one meal a day, maybe she just, whatever, a, a day of the week, maybe whatever it was, but for over 50-something years of her life, she spent every moment she had to be able to pray and fast to show God how much I love you. So fasting can be an expression to show God your love and your adoration and your worship towards Him. Worship, worship can happen through fasting. Everything, every one of our disciplines that we're going to cover can be an act of worship. No, I'm just going to kind of throw this in there. Uh, for, for years and years and years, I had a wrong attitude when it comes to tithing. Because I was, when I grew up in, in, in those, those strict legalistic Baptist churches that I was from, y'all don't, some of y'all know what I'm talking about, some of y'all don't. Uh, but some, some of these preachers would get down, boy. We had red book, red book hymnals, y'all know what I'm talking about. And you'd always sing the first, second, and last. You don't ever sing that third verse. It's the first, second, and last. But we'd have these old preachers get up there and they would shout it down. But they would talk about tithing. And they would say things like, if you don't give God your tithe, he'll get it one way or another. He'll make your tires go flat. He'll make your heater go out. He'll make your AC quit. And they would say things like that. And so my view of tithing for a lot of my life was like I was paying God like a mobster. Like, God, I'll give you your cut. Just don't hurt me. Like, literally, that's how I grew up viewing God and tithing. God, please don't let my tires go flat. Here's your cut. It took a long time for me to understand that tithing is worship. God, you've been good to me, so here, I just want to give it back. It's yours anyways, but I just want to say thank you for what you've done for me. Everything we do when it comes to the spiritual disciplines can be an act of worship. Your fasting is an act of worship. Your prayer is an act of worship. Your service is an act of worship. Evangelism is an act of worship. Reading your Bible is an act of worship. Stewardship is an act of worship. Everything can be an act of worship. And so we see throughout the times of history that many people fasted and they would spend their time fasting for God and for different purposes. But there's a verse I read in Zechariah chapter 7, verse 5. And this really conflicted me. So, so what's happening, they're sending a, 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 a group of people from Bethel to Jerusalem. 
and they're going to inquire, they're going to ask God a question. For, for, for 70 years, they've been observing this fast on the fifth and the seventh month of the year. And this fast was, was, was to remember the destruction of the temple. And so for 70 years, in the fifth month and the seventh month of the year, they would spend time fasting in those months. But now they're starting to rebuild the temple. And so the question is, well, do we keep on fasting? I mean, the temple's being rebuilt. Do we keep doing what we've been doing or do we stop? I don't, we need to find out. And so they send some people to, from Bethel to Jerusalem to go and inquire and to, and to pray and to seek God's wisdom on this. And in Zechariah chapter 7, verse 5, God gives his answer. He says, speaking to all the people of the land and to the priests, saying, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even though seventy years, did you at all fast unto me? Even to me? In other words, were you even doing it for me? And I read that. I'm telling you, God pricked my heart. He says, basically, you've been doing this for 70 years out of routine. You were just religious. You weren't doing this for me. You were just going through the motions. Did you do this for me, even to me? And I'm telling you, it's as if God sat down right next to me and began to ask me questions I didn't want him to ask. And I just want to picture, right now, I want you to picture with your mind's eyes if God sits right down next to you and he calls you by name and he begins to ask you, why do you pray? Are you praying for me? Why, why do you tithe? Are you tithing for me? Why do you attend Temple Baptist Church? Is it for me? Why do you serve? Is it for me? Why do you sing? Is it for me? And as God began to ask me these questions, sometimes I didn't realize the answer I wanted to give was not the answer I could give. Because I realized that some areas of my life have become routine. And it's real easy to do that. It's real easy to let these things become motions in our life. Hey, why do you go to church? I, I go to, I've been going to church my whole life. Why do you like that song? I like that song because my grandma sang that song. What, what's the motivation behind the things that we do? Why are you doing it for Him? Imagine God sitting down and says, Did you do it unto me, even me? We are coming up on this Sunday. We call it the Super Bowl of Sundays. Easter Sunday, there's going to be more unchurched and lost people in the house of God all across, all across the world than any other Sunday of the year. This Sunday. I'm fired up about it. I'm excited. I know Pastor Malcolm's going to bring the heat. He's going to shuck the corn. He's going to do all that stuff. But I'm excited. But, but, but here's the thing. I'm questioning. I'm wondering. I'm going to pose a challenge, okay? I'm going to pose a challenge to you out there at Fairview and those watching online. I'm going to pose a challenge to everybody in this room right now. Would you consider between now and Sunday dedicating yourself to fasting for one day, one meal, one afternoon, a couple meals, whatever it might be? You pray to God, ask him what you would what he'd have you to do. But I'm going to challenge you between now and Sunday. Would you ask God, God, how can I 
fast this week and then follow through on it. That's my challenge. That's my challenge to you. I want to challenge you to take that time. And every time you have that hunger pain, you begin to pray for all those lost people who's going to be in these chairs on Sunday. And you say, God, I just want to see somebody get their life transformed from death to life. God, I want them to see you in a real way like they've never seen you before. Every time you get a hunger pain, you begin to say, God, I pray that the gospel is preached clearly and loudly. And every time you get a hunger pain, you say, God, I pray that every volunteer shows up and plugs in where they're supposed to be. So there's a bunch of kids back there and there's there's a bunch of volunteers too. And every time you get a hunger pain, you say, God, I pray that you push away the darkness. Because Pastor Malcolm has been calling this week hell week because the enemy knows what's about to happen on Sunday and so he's going to try to do everything he can to discourage us along the way and so every time you get a hunger pain you say God push away the darkness keep the enemy behind enemy lines and let us do what we need to do and then we're going to continue to pray you pray for the preachers preachers not just here but across this world and say God I pray that they don't compromise the gospel but they preach with boldness and you pray every time you get a hunger pain every time your stomach growls just a little bit you start praying for the three services that are going to be happening here at Temple Baptist Church on Sunday. You start praying for the churches down the road. I'm going to tell you right now, maybe you need to start praying for your lost friend or your lost loved one, saying, God, would you stir their heart to want to be invited to Temple Baptist Church so I can sit next to them and maybe they can hear the gospel for the first time in a way that they understand it. Maybe in that time, they'll give their life to Jesus. And so I'm just going to challenge you, church. I'm not going to make you. I don't want to make you. I just want to challenge you. Would you make a commitment that sometime between now and Sunday, you would take a moment to fast? You ain't got to put it on Facebook. Don't put it on Facebook. Do it in private. That's what Jesus says. Don't let nobody know. All right, make it private, but take a time to fast and say, God, I'm going to spend some time with you. And I just want to make sure that I just want to lift up this church and what this Sunday means. Some of you get anxious when you start talking about missing a meal. You get a little nervous. You start thinking about it right now. You're already hungry. I ain't going to lie. Some of you all thinking about maybe we can beat beat the crowd at Cracker Barrel before everybody goes because they're... But can I ask you, has there ever been a time in your life you've missed a meal on accident? Because maybe you got too busy. Maybe workload got too crazy. Maybe you were out fishing or hunting and you forgot to pack you a lunch, but you stayed out there anyways. Maybe women, you went shopping and went to Target and they had all kinds of sales. And before you know it, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. You ain't had lunch yet. I think there's many of us in this room who can say, I've missed a couple meals. Why did we miss that meal? Because what we were doing was more important than eating. Do you believe... That seeking the face of God is more important than maybe eating a meal every now and then? Do you believe that seeing a lost person get saved is more important than eating a meal every now and then? And so I'm just going to challenge you, church. I'm going to participate in this challenge. I'm not going to tell you when. I'm not going to broadcast it. But between now and Sunday, I'm going to spend some time fasting. I'm going to ask God to move in this church. to, To move on these seats. To see these altars full of people. I want us to crowd heaven on Sunday. You want to crowd heaven on Sunday? Let's crowd heaven on Sunday. So let's pray and ask God to move in amazing ways.
in your, in your handout, I'm, we're just going to, this is kind of for take home reading whenever you want to do that, but maybe you have some questions on like, how, sh- how long should I fast? Is there a requirement? There has never been a requirement in scripture on how long a person should fast. And so in your handout at the very bottom, you find some areas where it talks about the different lengths of times. Some have fasted for a day, some for a partial day, some for a meal. And so there is no real wrong or right way to, to, to fast. If you just do it, you're doing it right. All right. So, so don't overcomplicate it. Don't feel like, well, if I can't fast the whole day, I'm messing it up. No, you're not. There's plenty of biblical references where people didn't fast the whole day. They just fasted a meal. There's plenty of biblical references where people didn't even give up food. They just changed their diet for the day. Okay, this is attainable. We can do this. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't be afraid. We're going to be okay. All right. You can get you a Big Mac later. We'll be all right. We'll be all right. But we're going to pray to seek God's face between now and Sunday.